0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I sit down, and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So today I would like to start the conversation. It's going to be a two-part conversation, uh, but I'd like to start the conversation on the Christian worldview as it pertains to an LGBTQIA lifestyle. Now for anyone unfamiliar with that acronym that I just used, uh, it's a very easily searchable acronym, but I do understand that this acronym has changed over time, so currently at the recording of this podcast, I am speaking to the acronym uh, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, questioning slash queer, because sometimes it can stand for either, intersex is the I, and the A, uh, depending on on what uh, source you find, it can either stand for uh, agender, asexual, or ally. Uh, And then the plus is a way to be inclusive towards any other form of identification. Currently in culture, we have a debate as to how many gender identities there are, uh, how many different genders and orientations someone can define themselves as. And I don't want to get too into the weeds of all of that, because I, I really think that when it comes to LGBTQIA+, the question arises to the bible to Christians of what do you do with it what what does the bible say about it is it uh, a sin are is, is someone practicing a homosexual lifestyle or anything other than a heterosexual lifestyle uh, automatically condemned to hell and what what do you do uh, and, and what will be the main focus of our next episode is what do you do if you are a person, as many are finding themselves, who has been raised in the church and realizes, you know, perhaps in those early developmental years, the early teen years, even the latter teen years, even the early 20 years, what do you do if you identify as a Christian but realize you have homosexual desires, realize you are attracted um, to the same gender or or a similar gender uh, or anything that, that doesn't fit the Uh, nuclear narrative, right, of man and woman. So, as I said, I want to get into that one in the second part of our episode, so if that is you, hang tight. But for this episode, let's talk about it theologically, let's talk about it philosophically, kind of a similar uh, thought pattern we're going to have with the previous episodes on evil and suffering, where We spent some time initially talking about evil as a general concept and then got to suffering more specifically and even got into a more nuanced case being anxiety. If you haven't listened to those, uh, go back and listen to those. Maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have some stuff to say. I don't know. Let's have a conversation. Let's let's have some fun with this. But homosexuality, I want to just kind of get straight into it. I want to get into like the most controversial part of it. Now, in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, so I'm speaking of the book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians, in the sixth chapter of that book, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So the question arises, does the Bible condemn someone who identifies as gay to going to hell? The answer, and bear with me because I'm going to say something that's a little shocking, and then going to explain it. So just forewarning, that's coming. So if you get offended, uh, please don't shut this podcast off right away. Hear out why I'm going I'm to give this answer, because as you know, we like to go, go through logic, and we like to, to dig through reasoning in this podcast. Uh, we are all skeptics, right? So uh, with that in mind, the answer is yes. According to the Bible, homosexuals will go to hell. But also according to the Bible, heterosexuals will go to hell. So, so let, me, let me phrase that another way. According to the Bible, every single human being who has blood flowing through their veins is going to hell, is on a trajectory course to hell. And, and that makes sense, right? Especially given where we've been in this podcast. If you haven't been following along, I had an episode a few episodes ago about what makes Christianity so unique, but I basically said the same thing in this episode, that Everyone is appointed to die, the Bible says, and then comes the judgment, right? That, that this idea of sin and being born with a sin nature means that we have a, a default nature uh, within us that breaks God's law and any breaking of God's law, be that a lie or stealing something or a, a, a lustful look, even as Jesus says, condemns us to hell. So, rest assured... <laughs> that the Bible treats homosexuals and heterosexuals as equals, as sinners in the eyes of God. And I think we can really see that in this verse. And and, um, I don't want to tear it apart too, too much for the sake of time. And we only have 20 minutes. um, But Paul lists off all of these sins. And he said to this church, you guys all practiced something on this list. I mean, personally, myself, I look on this list and I'm checking off like six of them right away. But the key to understanding this verse, the key to understanding what the Bible says is the word inherit, right? When you think of inheritance, you think of, you know, your, your grandparent or your, your parent or, or someone in your family or someone you know dies and they write a will, their last will and testament. And in the will, they give you some of their possessions, right? Their possessions become an inheritance to you. You get it by birthright. You get it because you were born into that family right? Be, be, because you are their grandson or you are their their daughter or you, you are their child. And because you have a birthright into that family, you get the thing. Well, what Paul is saying is that heaven is is no one's birthright, that that we're all born into sin, right? And, and yet I started off this podcast reading uh, this psalm where David is praising God because he's fearfully and wonderfully made and God knew every single thought and God knew every single thing that was going to uh, and enter his mind and, and every single desire on his heart before he was ever even born God God knew him in the womb right and Jeremiah records something similar in Jeremiah chapter 1 where he praises uh, uh, God because uh, God tells him that he knew Jeremiah before he was ever even born that that, that he knew what what he was going to go through in life he knew what what his his calling what his destiny would be and so that raises the question then for for so many, uh, especially those in church, right? And 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 really these two episodes, I think my heart behind it is to speak to someone in church uh who may be struggling with having homosexual desires, right? And 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 you have the thought of why did God make me this way if it's a sin? Because to answer the question, is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it is. Um there there are several places in the Bible where it identifies as such. 1 Corinthians 6 lists it with a group of sins. Uh, Romans 1 also lists it with sin. Uh, the, the Greek words used don't imply idol worship. They don't imply rape in homosexuality. Because I've also heard that argument as well. That, well, you know, the, the Greek words that Paul used, they really imply homosexuality as it pertains to raping little boys. He never condemns uh, homosexual marriage. Well, yes, but if we apply logic to that, um, the Bible also condemns raping women in several parts of it, and yet paul and jesus and and even in the law of moses they they go on to define what marriage should be and what rules and boundaries god has set for marriage and, and that god says that a wife is to submit to her husband and that the husband is supposed to lay down his entire life and, and all of his desires for the wife uh, and there's a mutual submission and yet nowhere in the bible do we see god say well a husband should also respect a husband and there, there is no allowance for a committed marriage and homosexuality and so the only thing then we have in scripture is pointing out that homosexuality is a sin. And there is another popular argument cuz I I've, I've done a lot of listening to other podcasters and and sermons and 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 I've read up some stuff and and there's this argument that Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of the 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 key story for for pointing out homosexuality as a sin and and yet the main thing that's going to keep someone out of heaven was actually the sin of Sodom. Ezekiel the prophet actually later on writes that this was the main sin of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid to the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did abominable things before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. And so I want to point that out because culturally we have a stigma that says that Christians and and, and even God look at LGBTQ pride and, and think that LGBTQ is the most disgusting part about that. But the reality is, the pride part is the most disgusting part about that, right? And and, and I say the word disgusting. I know it's a little harsh, but the Bible does make it clear that all sin is disgusting to God. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that. I am disgusting to God. That that the sins that I commit, God can't even look at me when I commit them. Because it's, it's gross, it's disgusting to God. And the most disgusting sin to God, the Bible makes this clear, is pride. Pride is the number one thing that keeps people out of heaven. Because I also just, I want to be frank, being heterosexual doesn't guarantee that you get into heaven. So to, to go out and, and condemn someone, to say, oh well homosexuality is on this list in 1 Corinthians, uh, therefore you're not getting into heaven. Just because heterosexuality isn't on this list doesn't mean a heterosexual person automatically gets into heaven, doesn't mean that they're automatically a better person. Uh, there are plenty of sins to be committed within heterosexuality that uh, I we don't have time to list for for sake of time for this podcast, but to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, the main sin of Sodom was pride. The main sin of Sodom was that every citizen thought that they were better than, than the next citizen. The main sin of Sodom was that every citizen said, my desires are most important, not only to me, but to the rest of my city. Ezekiel says that Sodom wasn't taking care of the poor and the needy. Sodom wasn't seeing all of its citizens as equal because throughout the Bible, God says to take care of the poor and the needy because he is the God of the poor. He is the God of the fatherless. He is the God of the widow. And perhaps we can go into that in another episode. Uh, If you have questions on it, please send them in. But pride, the essence of pride, is saying, I know better. I am better. And when pride defines a lifestyle, it says, I know better and I am better than God. It says, my desires, my thoughts, my actions are enough to justify me, to justify my existence. And it reminds me of the movie from the 80s. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called Chariots of Fire. Uh, It's a fantastic, fantastic movie about two men who were running in the 1924 Olympics. And my gosh, that was almost 100 years ago now. One was Eric Little, who was a devout Scottish Christian. uh, And his whole stigma in the movie was that he was running for the glory of God. And about Harold Abrams, who was an English Jew who was running to overcome prejudice against Jews at that time. They were both running for England. And the two characters could not be more different in their demeanor. You have uh, Harold Abrahams, who is full of pride. He, he, is, he is trying to overcome this prejudice so much that there's, there's a dialogue where I believe it's his girlfriend is asking him about why he runs. And he says, when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And then even after he wins, he, he, he wins the Olympics, uh, the the highest award a runner could could ever win, right? And he wins and there there's a depression that almost sets in on him in, in, in the end of, of the movie that that thing still didn't justify his existence, right? So when we're talking about justifying your existence, it's, it's a means of, of providing a justification, right? So I hope you're thinking in like court terms now and perhaps even thinking back to the, the episode we did on what sets Christianity apart from other religions. But, but there's an idea that every action you do is worth it because you are that thing. So for Harold in this movie, every single action, every single choice he made in life, he thought was going to be made worth it if he just won the gold medal in the Olympics. And then there's the other man, Eric Little, the devout Scottish Christian who was scheduled to run his race on Sunday. And that presented a problem for him because earlier in the movie, when he and his sister were in church, he made a vow to God that Sunday would be the day he considers a a Sabbath, essentially, a, a day of no work and a day of only worship to God. Now, this isn't something he had to do because it was in the Bible. This was something that he made as a promise to God that if God would give him the ability to win these races, that he would give the glory to God, and he would also set aside Sunday every single week to have a one-on-one communion with God. And it just so happens he's scheduled to run in the Olympics on a Sunday, and he tells them he cannot run. He he tells, uh, I think it was the prime minister of England at the time, I'm sorry, but I cannot represent our country on a Sunday. It's my conviction. I'm, I'm sticking to it. And of course, what 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 happens? Well, uh, you know, not not to spoil the movie, but it's been out a while, and you should still go see it. It's a fantastic movie. But uh, another runner steps in his place, and uh, Eric Little then also wins gold medal in the Olympics and brings the victory uh, home for Britain for the Olympics. And it's a fantastic movie of of triumph of the human spirit and, and and brotherhood and overcoming adversities. And this isn't a movie review podcast. This is a skeptical podcast. So let's get back into the issue. Why would God make someone with a desire for homosexuality? Why would God make someone and then know that later in their life, they're going to have a a, a sexual desire, a sexual drive that is contrary to the will of God as it's presented in the Bible? Well, I'd like to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. It seems like we have been spending some time in, in this garden where Jesus spent some time here in this podcast, but I'd like to go back there and point something out. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me, right? And we talked last time about the anxiety he faced in that. But if God knew Jesus was going to face the death on the cross, why did he allow Jesus to be born with pain receptors? If God knew Jesus was going to face the death on the cross, why did he give him a perfectly functioning body with no cancer, no illness, no diseases, nothing that that would say, well, he was going to die at age 33 anyway, so the crucifixion wasn't a big deal. We have no reason to believe that Jesus was not a completely healthy, functioning human being. I mean, my gosh, the guy went 40 days in the desert without food and still walked around the entire Middle East after that for years to come, preaching and teaching masses and healing people. So, I don't know about you but I if I go 4 days without food I'm I'm like really really hangry. I don't know if my body could take it. I feel like I would die 4 days without it and yet Jesus goes 40, right? And, and 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 so the point I'm trying to make here is God designed Jesus. He he allowed Jesus to be born with a body that probably could have lived into his 70s, 80s or 90s. And yet, he gave him a mission to die at age 33 hanging on a cross. God put desires within all of us, even Jesus, that must be denied. And this isn't just evil desires or bad desires. Like, if you were to say, I have a desire to commit murder, obviously, not just Christianity, but society would tell you, deny that desire. That is an evil desire. That's a wrong desire. And what we're talking about when we talk about homosexuality and the LGBTQ community more often than not, is a desire for love, is a desire for acceptance. And those are not bad desires, yet they must still be denied. Back to the example from Chariots of Fire, Eric Little had a desire to run. He said in the movie, God made me to run because God made me so fast. And yet, to honor his vow to God so that God would be glorified, he chose to deny the desire to compete in the World Olympics. And when he did so, he said something that was very profound. He said, God honors the man who honors God. And that principle is very much true, whether you make a vow to God or you're simply just following the commandments, the laws, and the wisdom given in the Bible. God has this unique way of when we give up our desires, he can and sometimes does turn around And either give us our desires right back or give us new desires, deeper desires for some of the deeper things in life. If we were to hand over to God the desire for love and affection and say, I don't care if I ever get love and affection from anyone else ever again. I want to do what is pleasing in your sight, God. It may very well be the case that God might just hand us back either the fulfillment of that desire or something greater altogether than we had ever desired in the first place. I don't know, but I do know that he is a good God who is not seeking to punish, but rather seeking to show grace and mercy. And in God's economy, it's the surrendering of our entire lives, including our desires, that unlocks that grace and mercy. And that's the principle of repentance. That's what it is to turn to the gospel. It's a turning from old ways, a turning from old sins into new life in Christ. So what does that mean? Does that mean then if you have homosexual desires, you are to suppress them and you are to never experience love or relationship with any other human being? Unfortunately, That's all the time we have for today's episode, but we will get into that in two weeks on our part two of this episode. So uh, please tune in for that. And as always, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show.